we learn how to go through the tough times of life. We learn that, Lord, yes, there's going to be bumps in the road. And yes, there's going to be mountains to climb. And yes, there's going to be valleys in which we find ourselves in. But, oh God, help us, Lord, to be mindful that, Lord, it's not about us. It's not about me, but it's all about you. And that, Lord, this time that I have here, it's only for a little while. It's only for a season. It's like a vapor that is seen and then is seen no more. It's like a blade of grass that shoots up and then dies off. It's only for a little while. And may in that time span in which you grant us here, that Lord will place you first. And may we come to recognize that you really are a father unto us. You are a father to the fatherless. You are a father to those who have earthly fathers. For we will spend more time with you than we do even with our earthly fathers. And you will love us far more than any earthly father could ever love us. And Father, help us to recognize that we need you above all else. May you bless this time. May you speak to our hearts. May you encourage the fathers that are here that we might encourage others. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, this this task of being a father. In one word, you would say, I would wish it upon no man. But in the other, I would say, it's the greatest thing you could ever do. is being a father. And just think, sometime in this thing called fatherhood, you think it will never end. You, you have this thing in your mind that it'll never end. It, it's not going to end. Uh, when will the kids leave? When will the kids this? When will the kids take care of themselves? It's like, boy, it might not never end. But it goes by oh so fast. It goes by oh so fast. And we need to recognize that, yes, it does go by awful, awful fast. And unless we acknowledge that, we find ourselves and all type of turmoil. And often today, fathers, hear me well on this point, run from responsibilities. Because it's a heavy load. It's a heavy load. And a lot of men get into it never knowing the weight that's going to be upon them. The weight that's going to be upon them. It's a heavy load. And often today, a lot of fathers are never prepared to be fathers. They have not been groomed by a father. And I want to share with you, you are grooming somebody to be a father. You're grooming somebody to be a father. 
And that's something that you will have to recognize. That you're grooming somebody. You're preparing somebody to be a father. Father facts. There's no real book about how to be a father, per se, other than the Bible itself. The Bible will teach us how to be a father, but what's more important is the father who shows us an example of what it is to be a father. God reveals to men how to be a loving, caring, responsible father. Because he is. He is loving, he is caring, and he is responsible for his children. He provides for us. So the example of being a father really comes from our Heavenly Father. A new kind of father. The Institute on Fatherhood out of Washington, D.C. has made the suggestion that we need to start redefining the word father based on the fact that there's so many things that are happening and so many different kinds of families today that are listed by the government and so forth, that we need to redefine or rethink that whole issue about fatherhood. A new kind of father. What does that mean? What does that look like? We haven't got a handle on the old one. And yet we're having suggestions that we need to redefine it. Or just a father who knows the father. A father who really knows the father. To help encourage dads to stand up a new way of thinking are in order, sociologists say. Families form has changed. And we have to get over, get out of the notion that you have to be in the same house to take care of children. O.B. Clayton, Morehouse College, sociologist. The definition of a father should go beyond only financial support. I agree with that. <laughs> but oftentimes that's all our legal system makes it. A financial support. (laughs) You father a child, you take care of it. That's the end of it. You just take your money, pay it at the window or whatever, you're done with it. Just make sure she gets the check, you're done with it. And children need so much more. Children without a father are two to three times as likely to have emotional Behavior problems. Statistics will prove it every time. It's shown every time. That children without fathers 
grow up having emotional problems and some very severe behavior problems. The problem of that is this. When you find a young man who doesn't know his boundaries, he's never been taught what boundaries are by another man. Therefore, he sense or feel he has a freedom to just try everything and do. Not knowing in all of his doing, he winds up hurting himself because he doesn't understand his limits or he hasn't been trained properly in order to perform. Children without a father are two to three times as likely to have emotional and behavior problems. National Fatherhood Initiative, book on father's facts. God has a plan. And I think it's a great plan for fathers. The issue will be, will fathers work the work that God has set forth for them? Will fathers work it is the question. Will fathers work at the plan that God has laid out? Will fathers perform what God has laid out? And as men, that's one of the biggest questions. I don't care if you're a father, grandfather, and with some of you here, you have children that you can take part of this message and you can share it with them. God has a plan for fathers. The first one, and we're just going to take the word father, F-A-T-H-E-R, and we're just going to use each one of the letters is that a father knows the father. If the father really doesn't know the father, he's not able to truly love. He has to learn how to love as he has received love. But a man who has not really received love finds it very difficult to love. And a man who hasn't received love and received patience of a father only know how to do things one way. His way. <laughs> his way. And everything has to be his way. And what it shows it has to be in his way, it shows the insecurity that has taken place in that person's life. Because it just has to be their way. The father has to know the father. You just have to experience that. That that I really know the Lord and and that He knows me and that we're in a relationship. And that's so important. To turn to Deuteronomy chapter six, because God says something to the children here of Israel. But he just doesn't jump to the children real quick. He speaks it first to the Father. And he says, Hear, O Israel, but this is what he wanted to hear in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. If a father is not demonstrating his love for the heavenly Father, 
It's because he doesn't even understand that he's loved. Love is a reciprocal thing that, boy, I love here, and then I return, love is returned to me. It is this circumference thing that takes place. One receives and then it's returned. It's received and then it's returned. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, you have to demonstrate to some children that you really love the Lord. And you love him with all your heart. You love him with all your mind. And the children are going to watch you because, see, you're saying one thing, I love the Lord. But then when you do something contrary to what Scripture says, they're going to question whether you really love the Lord. And when you're in this relationship with God, they're hearing you talk to God. They're hearing you talk to God. And they're hearing God work in your life. They're hearing also by the way that you perform, by the things that you do. They're observing. They're hearing what God has said. Now, he says that whole thing that, boy, yeah, that the Father has to be there and he has to want to hear. And then the next thing it says in that verse 7, if you really love me, if you really learn from me, he says, now you take what you've learned from me and you impress it where at? Upon your children. A father recognizes that the son doesn't come and say, Dad, teach me what you know about God. But it's the father who says, this is what I'm going to teach you about our Heavenly Father. It's the Father who desires because he's experienced a fatherly love to say to the sons and the daughters, I'm going to really point you to your real Father, your Heavenly Father. And there's that exchange of words that, yes, I'm your earthly Father, but I'm only the caretaker a very small part of your life. But God, your Heavenly Father, is going to take care of you for the rest of your life. All of your life. When I'm not there, He's there. When you're hurting and I'm not there, He's there. When you're crying and I'm not there, He's there. When you're going through your situations of life and I'm not there, He's there. He's there when I'm not. Why? Because He's your Heavenly Father. And He knows your thoughts. He knows your emotions. He knows everything about you. And it's the Father who introduces and has the privilege of introducing the child to the Heavenly Father. But yet, what is so important is this is that as the father of the children, I am responsible and obedient to my heavenly father. And I'm able to live that out that they can see it. And when young people don't see it in their fathers, it causes questions about God. 
it causes problems. Because something's missing and they know it's missing. Over in Psalms 127, it's directs the father in this manner. It says something to the father who has children that, boy, uh, children are like arrows. Children are like arrows in a warrior's hands. A warrior, if you study tribalness in any way, or you study the Romans, or you study any groups, that were barbaric or were uh, people who conquered other people, out of that tribal group, there became those who were warriors and there became those who were blacksmiths, who were artists, who were farmers, who were this and who were that. But there were warriors. Remember the movie 300? Did any of you watch that, 300? Remember when the gentleman came and the one guy says, we bought more men than you did. And the Spartan king says, What do you do? I'm a blacksmith. What do you do? I'm a farmer. What do you do? And it just went on down. And then he looked at the Spartans. And he said, What do you do? And that roar went up. <laughs> Why? They were just trained from childhood to kill. A warrior. A warrior is someone that the Lord says is skillful. Skillful in what he does. And he says a child is like an arrow in a warrior's hand. Someone who is skillful. Someone who can take that arrow, bring that bow back, let that arrow fly, and it will hit its target. And what God is saying, when the father is there correctly training the child, the child will hit its target. The child will hit its target. It won't be a child in all type of direction going everywhere. That child, when it's pointed towards something, it will hit its target. And the father's job is to point the child towards a career, towards something. One of the worst things you can say to a child sometimes is pick out what you want to do. Why? A child really doesn't know what they want to do. A child really doesn't know their skills yet. The child really doesn't know their strengths yet. The child really doesn't know their capability. But who is the one that should know that? The father who is raising them should have been observing their child that they can point their child to their strength. They point the child to where they see that child is gifted. One of the things that we knew about Gus as a child called Gus had cockomeningitis. And one thing I knew Gus would not be able to do is work in construction or be a person who would have to lift up heavy objects. Gus had a deficiency. He still has it. You have to look very close to see it. Gus cannot still jump on one foot. He can't do that. He loses his balance very quickly. 
Gus can't walk a beam putting one foot in front of another. He can't do that. And Elaine and I talked, and I said, you know, we got to gear Gus towards a professional type job, that he's going to be behind a desk, he's going to be interested. We got to gear him towards, because he can't work in one of the trades. He can't work in a factory. He can't do that. And Gus graduated with a degree in paralegal. And he's a probationary officer, and he loves it. And he loves doing his paperwork. He loves working for, with judges when he works. The thing is to know what your child's capabilities are and what their love is for, and then direct them towards that. Direct them towards that. And he says, that's that arrow that you're going to aim, but you got to direct. And then he tells us this here. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction in Proverbs 4, 1 and 2. A father has to instruct. Now, a father can do one or two things. They can make a child angry where the child will not listen to them. Or they have won that child's heart that that child will listen and take instructions. A, a father has to understand, just because a child's their child, that doesn't mean they're going to listen to them. You have to win a child's heart and mind that they're going to pay attention to what you say. And that what you're saying is important. But a father gives instructions, but a father gives instructions because he's been instructed. You cannot teach what you don't know. You can't give what you haven't received. And a father, it's important that he's able to instruct his children in life. Understand this as parents, especially as a father. If you don't teach your child, somebody else is teaching them. They're going to be taught from somewhere. They're going to receive learning about life from somewhere. But hopefully you will guide them in that path of righteousness that they will be able to compare whatever teaching comes along in life. They have something to put it alongside of and look at and see the importance of it. He says, fathers, do not aspirate your children in Ephesians 6.4. I don't know how well you see it. I hope you can see it. But, boy, Digging into that word just a little bit. Provoke in the King James. It, it, it comes to this here. To trouble the nerves or peace of mind. To trouble the nerves. When your nervous system is off, is everything off? Yeah. Yeah. When your nervous system is off, everything and life can be off. And when you don't have peace of mind, what happens? You can't make good sound decisions. You can't make good sound decisions when you don't have peace of mind and your mind is running all over the place. You can't make good sound decisions. And what he's saying is that, fathers, you can still 
the peace that your children could have in their mind. You can disrupt the confidence that your children can have up here in their function and their doing. You can cause their nervous system to be way off because the way in which you acted and you performed your duties as a father or not even being there. It hurts. But I never thought about robbing the peace and upsetting the nervous system. And that nervous system go into the psychological things. Now you study this further. He says, Father, do not provoke your children. Instead, bring them up in the training. And this is where it takes time. This is where it takes patience. To train. To train. I like the movie Secretariat. Secretary was a big old horse, always starting off slow. Coming out the gate slow. Yeah. But Secretary broke all kind of records in horse racing. But the trainer that he had was one that a lot of people thought was not a good trainer. But the trainer was excellent. And he discovered something about this horse also. The more you give this horse an opportunity to run, the, the, the horse just wanted to run faster and faster. And sometimes you had to hold him back some because he just wanted to go. Slow coming out the gate. But he knew if he was going to win the Belmont, he had to teach that horse to come out that gate the moment that bell rung. So he took a bell and he just started to teach him how to come out the gate. Because at first it was like the horse would sit down. So he come out almost last. But to win the Belmont, he had to be first coming out that gate. And then he had to hold it. And he trained that horse to come out of that gate in a different way. You have to train your children to come out of the house, to come out of the gate as they venture out into life in a different way. And maybe you have four or five children. Maybe you have two, three children. We had three children that were totally different and we had to train each one of them how to come out the gate towards life differently. And that's where the patients come in. That's where the instructions come in. And sometimes you get tired of it. But the thing is, that's what God does with you. He teaches you how to come out of every gate in life. He prepares you. A father, he affirms his children. He affirms them. He gives them legal Recognition by simply saying, you're mine. You're mine. You know what that child has at that? I belong. <laughs> you're mine. I belong. You're mine. 
It's something for the father to stand up and say, that's my dad, that's my dad, that's my... Why? That's where they belong. They identify. And oftentimes when you lose the ability to identify, it hurts. And in counseling, a lot of times it's called just stuffing, stuffing, stuffing. Or we put it way back here as though it doesn't exist. And those are the psychological effects that come around later on in life. And you can see it and you can hear it. And the whole process is that how do you heal from it? And it does start with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he will be a father to the fatherless. He will nurture. But there's another way also. And oftentimes we forget this. Eddie Robinson, how many of you remember Eddie Robinson? Coach at Gremlin University. Eddie sent over 200 men to the NFL. Sent more national football players than any other school, any other coach in history. He started in 41 at Gremlin and retired in 97. But sent over 200. But he groomed them. But the amazing thing is this. The majority of his players called him what? Father. Because of what he taught them. What he shared about life with him. And many nights he would get a phone call saying, I got an offer from so-and-so. What do you think? What What are they looking for? The advice of a father. The guidance of a father. Now, oftentimes in life, We don't pick up fathers. But that's something that needs to start happening. If you have raised your children and you're a father, I want to encourage you to do something. Father another child. Father another child. Try to help give direction to another child. Try to minister to another child. Had a young man come back here some time ago that when he was a child, he kind of like grew up in this church. And at first I didn't recognize him. Then he came over. He said, you don't remember me, do you? "Mm, No. And then he told me who he was. And he said, you know something? I missed out on a great opportunity because I, I really didn't believe that you would do it. Because I told him, I said, if you want to go to college, and if you get into college, I'll pay your way through college. I'll pay your way through college. And sometimes as men, we need to offer young men those kind of opportunities. And let's see what? Let's see what they do. Give them the opportunity. Open the door for them. Understand this, somebody opened the door for you. 
A Mr. Beeler opened the door for me. A Mr. Castile opened the door for me. Other men helped father me. Because my father was a worker and there was 14 kids. My father only saw me play one basketball game. Mr. Castile never missed a game. My dad saw me play one football game. Honorable mention, scholarship, back that time, football and basketball. But my dad only saw one because he had to work all the hours he could work to to feed 14 kids. As a child, I didn't understand that. As an adult, I understood it. (laughs) But then Mr. Castillo became like a father and People would hear me out, dad, dad, you know, and they begin to think me and Al was brothers. No, it was just my adopted dad, and I would call him dad, and I would call mom, mom, and when we were in school, Miss Castile would call down to see how we were doing, and she would talk with Elaine for an hour or more sometimes, but the thing is, they were like parents. Though they were not our parents. Take note of this, dads, granddads. Be an eyewitness to your children. When you are an eyewitness to their activities and what they're doing, you're giving positive feedback. When you're there and you're witnessing, you're you're seeing them develop. And when you see them develop, then from that point, you can put into their life. You, you can share where the failures are, where the corrections need to be made. Because you're an eyewitness. You're seeing what's going on. You're not chewing them out about it, but you're making the correction. Secondly, you want to be an ear witness. You want to remind them what they said, what they're out to achieve, what they want to do. So, so you really want to hear it for that you can remind them. This is something you said you would do. And then you teach them to hold to their word. And in doing so, you're teaching them to be accountable for the words that they speak. You don't let them off the hook. You're hearing them. And you're bearing witness. This is what you said. It's not what I said. This is what you said. Then three things that are really important for a child. That you need to surrender. One, recognition. That you need to just recognize them. You're my daughter. You're my son. No matter what you do, you will always be my what? Isn't that what God says about me? (laughs) I might be wood, hay, and stubble, but I'm still God's what? (laughs) For he says in his house, there's that gold, silver, precious stone, then wood, hay, and stubble. I might be wood, hay, and stubble. But God still what? He still loves me. And he doesn't disown me as his child. 
I'm still his child. Because he's not measuring me by my successes. He's recognizing me. I'm his. I'm his. Secondly, acknowledge them. That boy, when they're doing, and they may not live all the time up to your expectation, but they're doing, they're trying. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge them. Even if they come in last, they didn't come in first in that race. They didn't score the highest points in the football, basketball game. Acknowledge them for being in the game. Acknowledge them. If you only scored one point, boy, you helped the team tonight. You put one point on that board tonight for them. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge them in their accomplishments. You want to acknowledge them. And here comes the hard part sometimes for parents because we put up imagery. And we want our kids to meet this certain image that we behold before them. Is accepting them for who they are. Failures and success. That we just accept them. And that can be difficult because in our minds we want them to be this. We want them to look like this. We want them to act like this. But you accept. Now that doesn't mean you do not want them to go a step higher. But where they are at the moment, they still need to know that you what? You accept them. They're not a big disappointment. Hey. But they're accepted. Now, I may not accept your behavior, your disrespect, your laziness, your irresponsibility. But those things need to be understood. Yes, that's part of your behavior, but that's not who? That's not you. I can accept you in your failures when you give me your best. The T, the Father, is the only real true teacher. The Father teaches more even than the mother. And this is not to put the mother down. There's things that the mother really can't teach even when it comes to the daughter that the Father teaches. God put Adam as the main teacher. And I'll say this to any society, any group of men, everything wrong in our society, everything wrong with our children, everything wrong in our culture falls at the feet of one person, man. Because God gave man the responsibility to rule over it all and to teach And to teach. We teach our daughters the type of men they ought to be looking for when they're dating. (laughs) Mom can tell them what kind of man to look for. The father 
shows them. <laughs> He's the example of the type of man. He shows them by how he works. He shows them by how he loves their mother. He shows them. He demonstrates it. In giving of himself for his wife. He demonstrates it before his children. Both girls and boys. He's teaching. And then in our house, boy, my kids for a long time. One of them even told me one time, Dad, you don't run the house. You don't, you don't do nothing. Because while the kids were small, they were always in Elaine's hands. And the only thing, I was the police officer. I was the bully. When you didn't obey Mom, you had to see me. Hey, hey. And even now she'll tell me, you need to talk to someone. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is this. There was a time that we exchanged. When the kids got so old, she kind of like stepped to the side, which was hard to do. And I took over. So when I would say to Faith, I don't want to see that boy around my house again. I meant that. Hey. Hey. When I would say to Tyler something, I meant that. Okay. When I say something to Gus, I meant that. They're older now. They're starting into their little adulthood and, and they want to be grown, you know. And they're as big as their mom and so forth. Okay. That I would take over and I would say, okay, you can go or you can't go. You know. And so they came to me in those last few years. Rather than the mom. And I did a little bit more structuring at that point. <laughs> and the whole process is there's that lateral. While they're young, yes, they're in Elaine's hands. But what they didn't know is this we're talking about them in the bedroom. But they didn't know that. So it's like, boy, I said, Dad, can, can we go out and play? Dad, can we go here? Go, talk, go ask your mom. Go ask your mom. You know, because at that point, mom was in charge. Hey. But there comes a point, dad's in charge. Why? He's teaching. He's really teaching. He moves from the role model to verbal teaching now. Hey. And he's teaching about life. So we sit at the dinner table and we talk about life and life experiences. Hey. We impart knowledge and skills about life. And one of the things, boy, I used to share with my girls, I'm sending you to college for this purpose. That if you ever have to take care of yourself, you'll be equipped to take care of yourself. Your dependency is not upon who? A man. Okay. Now, I bought both my daughter's cars when they were in college. Then when my son came along, he asked me where his car Boy, you better get it the best you can. The reason I bought the girls' cars, I didn't want them dependent on who? Young men. But with Gus, 
Man, you better get on the bus. You, you better get a bicycle. You better get whatever. You know. You know? Life skills. The father is the hero in their children's life. If you're not the hero in your children's life, somebody else is. And every child needs a hero. See, my childhood hero was John Wayne. You you hear me talk about John Wayne quite a bit sometimes. But I grew up watching John Wayne as the cowboy and the good cowboy and learned so many things from a John Wayne, you know. And he was like my childhood hero. But my real hero was my dad. I would see my dad come in with swollen hands from the rubber plant, from pulling rubber. I would see my dad come in and maybe just have time to eat dinner sometimes, especially when they were working six-hour shifts, and they would call him right back because somebody didn't show up and ask him if he could come back in, and he'd go right back in. How my dad did what he did, because sometime, boy, to, to go out, he has to make two trips because... Having nine kids at home and having a car that only you might get five or six of us in plus himself, he would have to make two trips. But patiently would make those two trips to get us all to the movie or all out to Aunt Lizzie's or all over the grandmothers. He would make two trips. My dad never just made really one trip. It was always at least two trips. And he really did become my hero in life. That a lot of people would tell me, you're just like your dad. You're just like your dad. Even some of my brothers and sisters, yeah, you, you're just like dad. You know, well, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. You know, a person who is highly revered or highly respected. As a father, you win the respect of your children. You don't demand it as they get older. If you haven't won it, most likely you will not win it. And it's a respect for the courage or for the heart that you see of them as they go through life. And how they function through life. And as a father, we are the helpers to them in life. We help them in so many different ways. We help them. We minister to them. We guide them, give them good advice when they ask. We're their helpers, but we are helping them to do right. Never help your child to do wrong. Never help your child to lie. Never help your child to deceive. Never help your child to cheat on their mate. Never defend your child in those things, but help them To do that which is right. Fifth, a father should be an encourager. He's an encourager because we're encouraged by God. You want to be there for your child, you want to be the cheerleader. You want to be there for them. And in encouraging them, you impart strength to them and confidence. Confidence. And you give them support. What's missing in a lot of young people's life is confidence. Is confidence. No. 
and they don't try. They don't push. Their thing is, that's not my bag. That's not my thing. That's not what I do. Uh, Why is it that you don't do it? Why isn't it your bag? A lot of it is just that you don't have confidence in it. As fathers, we build them up that they're strong enough to think, I can move mountains. You give them the confidence that they can face anything and go through anything and come out what? Victoriously. And you allow them to know, as long as you're alive, you're always there to do what? Support them. When there's no friends to support them, nobody else around to support them, you'll always be there to support them. Okay. Now, something very important here. When you're supporting, it doesn't have to be your way as long as it's the right way. Okay? You don't have to do A, B, and C and jump into my thing if I'm going to support you. I'll support you because I believe you're doing the right thing. Period. May not be the exact way I want it done, but because I know you want to do the right thing, I'll support And children today need that. The sixth is the R. Fathers bring about a state of readiness. Readiness. What do I mean? In the Marine Corps, when you go in, one of the things you learn is this. You're going to be ready on a moment's Notice to go anywhere in the world to fight for America. You're ready to go. And the reason they have that readiness is that they know they have trained you for it. You've been trained and you're ready to face whatever it is that America needs you to face. That you've been trained and you're ready to face life. That as your children exit the door and go out into life, you know that they're ready for it. They've been prepared for it. They've been trained for it. And they're ready to face any problem that comes along. And those are difficult problems, difficult situations in life. And there's not a thing that, boy, I can train you for everything, but you have it within you, the knowledge and the ability to deal with everything that comes down in your life. Why? You've been prepared. You're ready to face it. You're ready to handle it. You're not a runner. And one of the things that is so easy today for young people, because they have not been prepared, they're not ready, they take off running. 
When the pressure hits, they run. When something happens they don't like, they run. One of the best things you can ever do for your children is that when they say that they're going to work at this, they cannot quit it until the proper time. They have to stay with it. They have to stay with it. It's not about, I don't like the boss, is this or is that, or the work's too hard. No, this is what you asked for, this is what you're going to do at this time. You're going to stay with it. As long as it's not dangerous to you, you're going to stay with it. Children are ready to perform. You want to make sure that your child is ready to perform at the level. Never expect your child to do what a child cannot do. One of the things I often hear, and boy, it frustrates me, and I have to shut my mouth, when a parent asks a four-year-old, do you want this? (laughs) Put it on that four-year-old's plate and eat. A child has a hard time trying to pick what's best for them when there's a number of things before them. But if you teach them the proper things that are nutrition for them, that's good for them, they will accept it. Mark don't like these vegetables. But one time, boy, I put some green peas on his plate. He's not going to eat them. I said, shut your eyes, put them in your mouth, and don't worry about them. But he couldn't leave the table until he ate some of them. What you putting your head down for? <laughs> Sometimes in life you have to do what you don't like what? To do. Help your children to experience real life. Because in life we're all going to have to do things as adults sometimes we don't like to do. When I was working my way through college, I didn't like working in a sewer. But that's the job I had. And I had to step down in there. And sometimes I had to take the gloves off because I couldn't feel with the gloves. And I had to just roll my sleeves up. And I didn't like it. But it took care of my family. It helped me through school. You're going to perform things in life sometimes that you don't like. And that's one of the learning things. That you do some things in life that you may not like. They have been made ready to perform in life. No matter what the situation might be. Life never asks, and this is something about life. Life never asks, are you ready? Remember that little game you used to play? Kids don't play these games anymore. What was it called? Hide and go sleep or whatever. You you stand at the pole of the tree and you count to a hundred or whatever. And then you ask, oh, ready or not? And and boy, uh, ready or not? Now you're going to go find them. But you ask first, are you ready? If somebody said no, you give them more time to what? To hide or whatever. But the issue is, were you ready? Ready or not? Here I come. Well, that's the real life. If you're ready for it or not ready, problems are coming. Things are going to happen in your life that you're not really ready for. But on the inside, you know you can handle it. 
That's the preparation part that has been taking place over the years by a father, by parents, that you're ready to handle them. A father's readiness, his children for life. Let's close out with Proverbs 22. You all know it. And the very first word in that verse 6 is train. If you really trained your children, they're ready. That's why every grade, they say, when you pass from first grade to second grade, you're ready now to tackle what you're going to be learning in second grade. When you go from second to third grade, you're supposed to be ready now for that third grade. And when you get from third to fourth, now you're ready. And when you leave college, when you leave high school, it ought to be that you are ready for what? College. And it used to be that way. That you're ready for college. You're ready for college. You're ready to face life. Because You've been taught. You've been prepared. The readiness is there now for you to go out into life and to conquer life in a sense. And he says, train. A father trains. He teaches. He instructs. He guides. He helps. He nurtures. He supports. He recognizes. He acknowledges. He accepts. Train a child in the way he should go. You've heard the statement, not the way they want to go, but the way they should go. You train them the way they should go. Not the way they want to veer off to the left or veer off to the right. I hear so many young people say, well, well, that's not the way it is today. Well, because it's not that way today doesn't mean that that's the right way. <laughs> There's a way to seem of right unto a man. There's a way to seem of right to a culture. There's a way to seem of right to a nation. There's a way to seem of right to a society, but it can be totally wrong. But it seems right. Train a child in the way he should go. And here's the promise then. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Yeah, he may stray, but it's still there. And the promise in the Hebrew is that he will return. He will return. It's the answerable part to the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son was trained, even though he wanted to go out in the world and do all these other things. Yet, he returned where? Home. Because he recognized that boy, he could go home. And no matter what he had done, he would be accepted by his father. He could go home. And he was willing to be accepted even as a what? As a servant. As a slave. But he knew he could go there. But he also knew this. He could not return with the mindset in which he left. So when he returns, what's the first thing he says? Father, I've sinned, what? Against you. 
only thing he's acknowledging is this. Father, I didn't do it the way you wanted me to do it. But I want you to look at the father too. He was allowing the son to make the mistakes that he needed to make in life. Train them. And always remember this, dads. They are your children, but you don't own them. (laughs) He owns them. He decides their final destination. (laughs) Not us. Not us. But while we're the caretakers, let's be the best caretakers that we can be. Amen? Let's be the best cheerleaders we can be in their life. Let's be the best supporters we can be in their life. It's never about, and I can't say this enough, it's never about where you've been. It's about where you're going. Okay? I don't like the path my grandchildren may be on or, 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 or even some of my brothers are on. Or it's not about where they've been. It's about where they're going. Hey. I'm hearing something about one of my brothers. Boy, I'm just so thrilled about it. He's living in a senior citizen place, but he's teaching Bible study. One of the last ones we would have been thinking about somebody teaching Bible study. But he's teaching Bible study and people are asking him to teach and he's teaching it in the building that he's in. And they've given him a room, you know. know? And he's teaching Bible study. If you could know how much hell that brother had made. (laughs) But it's not about where you've been. About where you're going. Point your children, guide your children, direct your children, support your children, be there for them. Amen? And if your children are grown, find another one to do the same thing with, as Paul did with Timothy. And you hear Timothy, boy, Paul said, That's my son. I'm willing to say to you, Timothy said, That's my dad. Even though he knew his biological father was Greek, he said, That's my dad. Because what Paul has sown into his life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness unto us.